thanks for taking some time to listen to what I believe God's been speaking to me. And hopefully you'll be able to hear something of what he's saying to you and together to us as a church. Uh, and so today's message, we are continuing focusing on how we can lead people uh, through these really difficult times. And you might be thinking, you know, Mark, I'm not really a leader. But the truth is, by definition, leadership is influence. And I believe that God places each of us into different spheres of influence, whether that's at school or at university or at work or at church or in a leading a business. Uh, if you've got people around your work that are, that are coming to you, they're all looking to you for some input. They're all looking to you for some, uh, some help and some perspective on how to deal with some of the challenging times we face. Could be your parents. Your elderly parents could be looking to you. Maybe your kids are looking to you as mum and dad. And the question is, how do we lead people through this time? And because many of us do have those people looking to us and they are watching how we respond to the news. They're watching how we respond to uh, the, the health orders and how we respond to whether you just look what's happening around Victoria or the world, people respond to wearing masks or social distancing. All those things, people are looking to us uh, for leadership, for, for influence, for help to, to help determine how do we navigate these unusual events that happen in life. They're looking to us for hope. They're looking to us to, to give them something to hang on to, to give them some sort of assurance in this time. And so I'll give you an example if you're sort of wondering, how many times have you had this conversation lately? It's sort of, hi, how are you going? That's what you say. And the other person goes, yeah, gee, look, it's uh, it's uh, crazy times. Hey, I'm strong. You know, or they'll say, uh, yeah, look, I'm doing all right considering. You know, right there is a point that someone is looking to you for leadership. They're looking to you for some cue, some assurance, some, some glimmer of hope or confidence that really things are going to be okay. And so, and the challenging thing is, how do we do this? How do we as leaders, as parents, as whatever role we have, as influencers, how do we lead people when we ourselves are facing uncertainty in our hearts? You know, when we don't really know the answers, when we don't really know what the plan is or what the next step is, how do we lead people through that? And ultimately, our goal is to be able to, well, we discovered last week, the first thing we have to do is learn how to lead ourselves. Uh, and ultimately, when we can lead ourselves to a place of peace and confidence and hope, we can then easily ask others to follow us into that same place. Ultimately, Jesus is uh, the only one. He's the Prince of Peace. And so that's our destination. That's our goal. And so uh, we're going to keep talking about Nehemiah this morning. And so we're just going to pray before we get into the Word. So Father God, I thank you that we can come before you and uh, explore your Word together. And Lord, I just pray that you'll help me to articulate uh, what you've laid in my heart. And I pray that you'll open our ears to hear what you're saying to us. And that how you can help us as a church to lead people to a place of great peace, to a place of great hope. In Jesus' name. Amen. So, so last week we turned our attention to a character in the Bible. And we know who it is. Or you'd know if you watched last week. It was Nehemiah. And how he handled, how he handled bad news. Now the bad news that Nehemiah faced wasn't a pandemic sweeping the world. The bad news Nehemiah faced was he received news that his... Uh, his hometown of Jerusalem, that it was in, it, it was destroyed. It was all its political systems, its religious systems, its social systems, its economic systems. Everything was about to collapse because the wall had been 
the walls were crumbling and the temple was destroyed. And so he was he was deeply moved by that. Now, as I said, Nehemiah, we find him, he is a, he's living in a place called Susa, uh, which is uh, the winter capital of the Assyrian Empire, or the Persian Empire. And he had a unique position. He was the cupbearer to the most powerful man in the world. He wasn't cupbearer to Donald Trump. He wasn't cupbearer to the Pope. He, was, he wasn't cupbearer to Superman. He was cupbearer to King Artaxerxes. He was the, the king of the Persian Empire, and, and he was the most powerful person on earth. And as um, cupbearer, he was brought into a close relationship with the king. He had to taste all his food, drink his uh, every drink that he had so it wasn't poison. So in that space, Nehemiah found great favor and relationship and influence with the king. And so this is where we find our story. Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1 to 3. We'll start again where we did last week. These are the memoirs. That's a word we don't use that often. Memoirs are the personal records, like a diary of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in late autumn, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was at the fortress of Susa. Hanani, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and how things were going in Jerusalem. They said to me, things aren't going well for those who returned to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. The report from back home wasn't good at all. A crisis had gripped the nation of Israel. A crisis had gripped the hearts of the nation in Israel. And they're in great trouble and disgrace. And so the sermon series we're doing at the moment is called Getting Real. And we're looking at how Nehemiah responded to the crisis that was coming to him on his, all his news feeds or the TV or the radio or the newspaper how did Nehemiah respond to those things? And, and I believe he did two things. He started off, but he did lots of things. And we discover that Nehemiah actually was key to seeing the city rebuilt and a great celebration. But at the start of it, Nehemiah did two things. And I spent most of my first message last time talking about the first one, which was Nehemiah got real with himself. It said, when I heard this, when I heard the news, I sat down and I wept. In fact, for days I mourned and I fasted and I prayed to the God of heaven. Nehemiah was overwhelmed with emotion when he wrote when he wrote about the news that he heard. He was a strong leader, and we'll, as I said, he, he was key to seeing great outcomes. But his first response was to acknowledge how he felt. He didn't believe that we should yeah, fake it till we make it. He didn't stand up and, and have all the answers for everyone. But what he did do, he, he wrote in his diaries. He opened his heart for us to learn. It's okay for us as leaders, as parents, as as grandparents, as colleagues at work, as teachers at school, as business owners. It's okay for us as leaders, whatever role you have, to be to feel unsure, to feel overwhelmed, to feel uh, troubled or frightened or whatever it is you might be feeling. It's okay. Tell the person next to you, it's okay. It is okay. If you've got no one next to you, uh, just, just yell it to me at the screen. It's okay. It's okay to feel like this. But more importantly, we need to realize that it's not, help, it's, it's not helpful for us to remain there. Because if we remain in a place of, of emotional um, trouble, uh, we can't help lead, we can't influence, we can't uh, be a blessing or to be a, uh, a word of hope or bring a life to people who are struggling. It's okay to feel those things, but more importantly, 
it's important for us not to remain there. And that's what we learned about Nehemiah. Nehemiah chose, uh, you can either he could choose fear by hearing the news and what's going to happen, or he could choose faith. Nehemiah had a choice to either remain anchored in his emotions or to, or to put his anchor in God. And what a great key that is for us today. You know, we can make choices. Nehemiah, when he heard this news, he turned his face toward God. He acknowledged God's presence and power. Nehemiah got, not only got real with himself, he got real with God. And, and through the prayers, and there's about four prayers uh, that Nehemiah has recorded to God. And in those spaces, we find Nehemiah came face to face with God. He got real. He shared with God his fears and his failures. He got up and close and all with God. He got face to face. He found himself in God's presence. And what a great thing that it is for us to do when we face the struggles we do in life. For us to come face to face with God. I'm not, I'm not just talking about <clears throat> the, the, the COVID uh, crisis, although that's the one that occupies much of our attention at the moment. But I know in the midst of that, we're all facing all sorts of other stuff. And the best thing we can do, yes, get real with ourselves, But secondly, find ourselves face to face with God and get real with Him. Open our hearts. Bear our Bear our inmost feelings to him. If you read the Psalms, the psalmist is constantly telling the Lord how he feels and what he's going through and crying out for his help. And so so when in Nehemiah's story, we see time and time again, whenever he faced these challenges, whenever he faced the opposition or discouragement, we discover the first thing he does, he turns quickly to God. And it seems to me that Nehemiah had developed a habit in his life that when the first thing he does, when he hears the, this trouble or, or he feels distraught, the first thing he does, he turns to God. What a good habit for us. And I want to encourage you to take whatever challenge you have to God. Don't dwell on it too long, but don't deny it either. And so um, as a leader, Nehemiah shows us he had a habit. And I reckon if you're a young person listening to this message, here is a great habit to learn at an early age, that whatever comes, Go to God. You know, many of uh, us, your church family maybe came to faith in a, a later stage in their life and, and they lived a life where they, they had a lot of struggle because they didn't realize that uh, they could go to God. But us or you, I'm not, us, I'm not a young person anymore, uh, but for you guys at an earlier stage, learn it quickly. Whatever you face, whatever the future holds, and we can't, we can't write, we don't know what's going to happen. And that's what can create the anxiety in us. And we don't know what's going to happen. But I tell you what, if you can make a, a, a habit of yours, a principle of yours, that you know what, no matter what comes next week, next month, next year, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, if you can know in yourself the first thing, the, the habit I'm creating in my life is whatever comes, I'm going to go to God. That would be a great habit to put into your life. Nehemiah said, when I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, I fasted, and I prayed to the God of heaven. And then verse 5. Then I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey him, listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people, Israel. I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. That's I'm cutting short that prayer because I don't want to spend too much time on the content of Nehemiah's prayer. I think it's really important to note that Nehemiah got real with himself, you know, and he got real with God. He he acknowledged God's goodness and His faithfulness and His kindness and His power and His love. 
Nehemiah poured out his heart to God. You know, his feelings, his questions, his doubts, his fears. He took them all to God. Nehemiah also took responsibility for his own actions. And he, and he acknowledged, yeah, Lord, I, I've sinned, I've messed up, I've, I've done this. Nehemiah also interceded for his nation, for other people. And if you keep looking, there's so much more we can learn about the prayers of Nehemiah. But what I really felt to highlight in this message is, is a particular phrase that we, we find in not just the book of Nehemiah, but we'll see it four times in the book of Nehemiah. In fact, we've come across it twice already. Anyone want to guess what the phrase is? You'll find it in his prayers. Well, in, in those verses. Anyone guess? He uses the phrase, God of heaven. God of heaven. In fact, four times in this book, he uses the phrase, God of heaven. There's something about this usage, the fact that Nehemiah refers to God as the God of heaven. In fact, even Jesus understood the nature of this when he taught his disciples to pray. When he said, Our Father in heaven. There's something really important I think God wants to show, at least me, hopefully for you, that, that can really help us in this time. And it's, it's, the, not, not, it's not a magic formula how we pray, but it's understanding who we're praying to. And so, you know, I hadn't really spent much time thinking about God's location in heaven. Uh, but these verses caused me to look deeper. The English preacher, Charles Spurgeon, he made an interesting observation. He looked at every prayer that Nehemiah, uh, every prayer and every phrase that Nehemiah wrote in his uh, diary. And he discovered that Nehemiah always had a habit of linking God to the arsenal and to the command center of heaven. Always linking God to the, to the power of heaven. Nehemiah did that consistently. And uh, Charles Spurgeon, he would say um, that it was Nehemiah's favorite name of God, the God of heaven. Nehemiah knew to who he was praying. He did not draw a bow at a venture and shoot his prayers anywhere, but he prayed specifically to the God of heaven, the God of heaven. In fact, it's a very interesting phrase. In the Old Testament, that phrase appears 22 times. And uh, 16 times that phrase, God of heaven, is used by people who are in exile. So if you remember, the nation of Israel was, was captured, in, well, finally deported in 722 B.C., 586 BC, they were taken across to the Persian Empire and, and for 70 years, uh, particularly um, under the second exile, they, they stayed in captivity. And in this time, we find Daniel writing this phrase. In fact, Daniel would use it eight times. We find Ezra using it. Eight, Ezra and Nehemiah are a, a combined set of books. And so Ezra used it eight times. Nehemiah used it four times. And so I think that's really fascinating. Not only that, King Cyrus, Chronicles records King Cyrus, who is the king of Persia, he uses the phrase God of heaven. And so, so what most commentaries would say is this title, God of heaven, was originally a Persian title for uh, the, the Persian title for the Jewish God. And so when they wrote about uh, the Jews and the, the people of captivity, they would refer to the God of heaven as their God. And so, um, but there's something more powerful than just a Persian understanding of it. Uh, Nehemiah seemed to have a unique insight into the power of this truth. The activity of heaven always, sorry, yes, the, the activity of heaven always populates 
Nehemiah's prayers. In a number of places, I just want to list two of them. Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 6. He says, You alone are the Lord. You made the skies and the heavens and all the stars. You made the earth and the seas and everything in them. You preserve them all and the angels of heaven worship you. In verse 27, the last half of 27, it says that in their time of trouble, they cried out to you and you heard them from heaven. In your great mercy, you sent them liberated liberators who rescued them from their enemies. Nehemiah uses this phrase time and time again. God of heaven. God of heaven. God of heaven. Um, he consistently linked God and heaven. He couldn't separate the two things. His, his prayers and his actions reflected his understanding of the, of the God who was in heaven. Now, Jesus also consistently linked God and heaven. He used he, he, the prayer we talked about, our Father who is in heaven. Jesus constantly referred to God as his Father or his Heavenly Father or his Father in heaven. And Jesus himself knew that the power of God and the power of heaven were, were, were linked. In Matthew 26, verse 53, Jesus says, this is when he was getting arrested. He says to uh, his disciples, he says, Don't you realize that I could ask my Father, my Father in heaven, for thousands of angels to protect us, and he would send them instantly. Jesus understood that God the Father worked in conjunction with the power of heaven. Not only, not only is, our, is God our Father who is in heaven, God is the God of heaven, with the power of heaven at his command. You know, when Jesus prayed, he had no doubt in the power that, that in, in his Father. He had no doubt that God is surrounded by power, that God is the commander of heaven. He's the commander of, the, of, of supreme power. And it appeared that Nehemiah also prayed with the same confidence, the same understanding on how powerful God is. See, see Nehemiah's example of, of his prayers and Jesus' examples connect together. Because for Nehemiah, he prayed to the God who is in heaven. And Jesus did something absolutely amazing. He changed that, that, that phrase into something that was significant and very personal. Not only is God just the, the God of heaven, but all of a sudden Jesus shows us that, that that God of heaven can be our Father in heaven. And not just our Father in heaven, He can be my Father in heaven. He can be your Father in heaven. And maybe you've never asked Him to become your Father in heaven. And at the end of this message, I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray and, and, and to, to invite uh, God uh, through Jesus to, to become your Father, to enter into relationship. But through Jesus, we come into personal relationship with God. You know, so, so Nehemiah and Jesus understood that God sits in heaven. And God has the power of heaven available to him at his command all the psalmist would tell us and um you know as i was preparing this message i was praying you know I'm, I'm, I'm pretty excited about this message and i know sometimes it's hard when i've immersed myself in these scriptures to try to communicate to you so i've been praying that god would open your heart and open your spiritual eyes to see the power that resides in heaven directed toward you that his face is, in, is, is towards you. He is surrounded by the armies of angels, the armies of heaven. And uh, I pray that you would get a glimpse before the service is finished 
that, that that God is for you. He is with you. And as we get real to this God, the God of heaven, that, that your faith and your confidence in him will be lifted. And so let's, uh, let, let's close this message. Um, whenever Jesus and Nehemiah called upon the God of heaven, they were thinking about God and the full power that is available to them to, what, to help them, whatever they were facing. Question I have is, what are, what are you facing right now? Perhaps it is linked to the COVID crisis. Perhaps it's not. Perhaps it's you're, you're facing a crisis in your marriage or a crisis in your, in your uh, physical health or a crisis with your kids or, or a crisis of internal identity. Who am I? Maybe you're lonely. Maybe you're empty. Maybe you're disappointed. Maybe you're, you're fearing for, for the future. You're fearing for your kids or your grandkids. Maybe you're, you're just worried or you're just feeling flat and, and empty and you're just unsure what's going on. Can I encourage you to learn something from Nehemiah? that we, can, we need to get real with ourselves. But what's more important is that we get real with God, to find ourselves crying out to a God who can do something. We're crying out to a God who is in heaven. We're, finding, we're crying out, calling out to, to the God of heaven, the God who hears from heaven, and the God who has the power of heaven at his command. So let's make a choice together, church, to anchor our faith like Nehemiah did in the God of of heaven let's let's put our anchor in heaven let's put our, our 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 hope in the reality of god and his and his goodness and his power that's available to us and let's make a decision to put our faith in the god who ultimately stepped out of heaven and into our messy world into a manger to uh, through jesus ultimately to bring us peace and to bring us into relationship so that god in heaven can become our father in heaven and I tell you what, our Father in heaven loves you deeply. He cares for you deeply. He cares about your worries. He cares that you are lonely and empty. And he is available to you. Not just him, but the powers of heaven are available. So let's choose that to anchor our faith in his goodness and his greatness and his power and his, and his faithfulness. Let's make a decision today to pray with boldness, to pray with confidence, not, not, not hoping God can do something, but praying like Nehemiah did, like Jesus did, praying with a greater understanding of the power of God that's available for us. The same God who worked with Nehemiah and the same God who was there for his son Jesus and the same God who's with us, who's available to us today. And so let's dare to believe that if we can anchor ourselves and discover for ourselves the power and our eyes are open to the reality of the power of heaven that's available to us because our God, that's where we're praying to through Jesus. If we can do that, surely we can find what we need and surely that'll help us to lead others into places where they need to go to find peace and hope. Ultimately, that's also through Jesus. So let's pray. Let's pray to our Father in heaven. Let's pray to our God in heaven. And so, Lord, I just thank you for today. And Father in heaven, I thank you that you are available I thank you that you are all powerful. You are almighty. I thank you that you are at work in this world and at work in our hearts. And Lord, sometimes we can't see it or feel it. But Father God, I pray that you would just come in a powerful way, that you would bring healing to the cities of this world, that you bring healing to the families that are grieving, that you would bring grace and peace and hope to those who are desperately in need of a touch from the power of heaven. And so, Lord, I pray that you would send your angels to protect and guard our church family, 
But Lord, I pray that through this time across the globe, that people in the midst of crisis would discover their Father in heaven. And they would discover that, we're, that like we are learning, that we have your power accessible to us. So we reach forward and take hold of that. And that, and that gives us great confidence that no matter what comes, that you are with us. But not only are you with us, that you are powerful enough to, to uh, help us to overcome and to be, be, become victorious in Jesus Christ. Lord, I thank you that, that you are greater than whatever we're facing. Lord, I thank you that you, are, that you are accessible to us. And Lord, I pray for anyone this morning who may have never invited you to become their father or it seems such a, a foreign concept. Lord, I pray that today that they would be able to ask you to come and, and come into relationship with you. That they, would, that they would understand that you are the God of heaven, but you want to become their father in heaven. And Lord, I just pray even now that as we close, that you would just stir their hearts and that you would, uh, that you would move in, that you would come and presence yourself with them in a powerful way, supernaturally, and give them a great touch of peace wherever they're sitting across, across our, our city, that whatever we need, that we'd sense your presence, not just in heaven, we'd sense it on earth. In Jesus' name.